Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Man, it's good to see everybody today. Hope you're having a great day already as we've worshiped together. And uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to look into Psalm chapter 23 in just a couple of minutes. Go ahead and turn there. But today we are wrapping up our teaching series uh, on a study we've been doing called Goliath Must Fall. We took a book written by Louis Giglio uh, by that same title, and we just took some of the source material from that and have been trying to apply some things into our personal lives. And so if you've missed some of this series along the way, I'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on our app or our website and check out some of the archived messages there. Uh, it, we've heard some great feedback from people throughout this series that God has been helping people find some victory over things that they're struggling with in their life. And so today we're going to see something different that takes place with David that we haven't really talked about yet up to this point in the series. And uh, here's what it is. When you read 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, 17 you find this, that David's victory became everyone's victory, right? And so when David goes out to fight the, the giant Goliath and he stands in front of him, he tells him, hey, listen, today I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to cut off your head, right? And that's the very thing that he does. And we said from the very beginning, this isn't a precious moments Bible type of series that we're looking at. This is something that when David was done, he sinks a stone into the forehead of Goliath. Goliath falls face down and then David goes and takes his sword and chops off Goliath's head. And then I love what takes place next. David just carries the head around with him for a while. Like he's like, I want everybody to see that this thing is really over, that this giant is dead, that I've got something powerful here in my hands, that God has given us victory. But David doesn't just talk to Goliath in that moment. When he tells Goliath, you're going down today and I'm going to take off your head, then he turns to the army of the Philistines behind Goliath and he tells them this. He says, this very day, I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. And so when David beats Goliath, and Goliath falls, and he cuts his head off, all of a sudden, here's what happens in the story. The Israelite army that for 40 days had been cowering in fear, all of a sudden got really brave. Do you remember reading that in the story? When Goliath goes down, the Philistines, who have felt like they had the ultimate champion and they had the upper hand and they were the ones in a power position, they all of a sudden go ghost white and they turn and run. And the Israelites begin to chase after the Philistines. And they beat them all the way back to their towns. And there's a great victory that's won that day. But here's what I think is powerful in that, that David's victory over Goliath resulted in the whole army of Israel finding victory that day, that they were able to win over their enemies. And so here's what I want us to see in that. When Jesus sets you free, you begin walking in renewed passion and renewed focus with him and your freedom that you find through Jesus over the giants in your life becomes encouraging to others around you. That when you start to tell your story, 
of Jesus beating Goliaths and giants in your life. And we've been talking about these giants throughout this series. But as you find victory over them and you share your story, all of a sudden other people around you start going, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one who was struggling with that. I didn't think there was any way to overcome that Goliath, that giant in my life. I thought there was no hope for me. But if I see God work in your life to bring that thing down in your life, then maybe he can do the same thing in mine. And so that's why we encourage people to share your story. If God has helped you find victory over some things in your life, we want you to tell your story. Because when you do, other people around you get encouraged. They become emboldened in their faith to follow Jesus more closely. They begin to think for themselves, if if God won victory in your life, then God can do that same thing in my life. But sometimes we just need to hear the stories of others. That's why I would encourage you to let us know if God has won some things in your life, some victories in your life, we would love to know that because we would love, like the video we watched earlier this morning of Greg sharing some of his story about his experience fasting during Lent, we'd love to capture your story of God doing some cool things in your life to share with other people. It's empowering to others to see how God works in our lives. And so let us know, and then we would love for you to be able to tell your story. Here's the question that we want to deal with today, though. And if you're taking notes this morning, just write this simple question down, because it's a linchpin kind of question in this series. And it's a hard one to ask, if you want to be honest. And here it is. What happens if my giants don't fall? I mean, Goliath must fall. We've been saying that. This is an imperative statement for Jesus to really have victory in our life. And because of what he has done on the cross, he secured our victory for us. But what happens in our life when we have some things that are going on, sin issues we deal with, giants that come against us, and we don't find victory over them? Or maybe we had victory for a season, but then all of a sudden, a giant kind of crept back up and started doing some harm to us again. What do we do in those moments? What happens if my giant doesn't fall? What if anger and fear and comfort continue to be something that we struggle with? What if we relapse into an addiction? What happens if you continue to face rejection or if you continue to be someone who rejects others because of the hurt you've experienced in your life? What if the giant doesn't fall? Well, I want to try to tackle that question today Because we need to be reminded of something that we said at the very beginning of this series. Through the power of the cross, and because of who Jesus is and what he did for us, our giants are dead, but they're still deadly. All right, our giants are dead. Jesus accomplished amazing, miraculous things on the cross when he won victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so our giants know that they are beaten, they're defeated. Satan knows he is done. Sin has no power over us for eternity, but we are still people who live in a broken, sin-fallen, sin-sick world, and we're going to struggle with things throughout our life. So because Jesus has won this battle, our giants are dead, but they can still be deadly. They can still speak to us negative things. They can still have power over us when we aren't leaning into Jesus. 
And we need to learn what it looks like to prevail over these giants and to see them put to death. Because when we think about our life, there's so many times that maybe you've been sitting there throughout this series and going, man, I would love to feel like I had total victory over that thing. I would love to feel like that's a thing of the past that I never have to worry about again. But every now and then it still creeps up. Every now and then anger still rises to the top. Every now and then my anxiety, my worry, my fear, it still gets the best of me. Every now and again, I still struggle with being in a comfortable place instead of following Jesus into an uncomfortable place that he calls me to. Sometimes I've had victory over addiction, but other times I've relapsed into something that was harmful. What do I do in those moments? What happens when Goliath doesn't fall, when our giant doesn't fall? Well, David who's the shepherd boy who defeated Goliath. He wrote one of the most famous passages that we have in scripture. And I want you to read this with me today. It's from Psalm chapter 23. This is something you're probably very familiar with. I'm going to be reading this out of the NIV. So it may be a translation that's different from the way you memorized it. So if you will, just read this along with me. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And listen, David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. That was his role in his family, right? He was a shepherd. He tended the sheep. He wasn't even at the, the celebration when, uh, when Samuel the prophet came to anoint a next king, and he chose Jesse's family and said, bring all your sons. They brought everybody except David because he was out in the fields with the sheep at that time, and they thought he's the youngest, he's the smallest, he's the most insignificant, so surely he's not even going to be chosen. I'll bring the rest of my boys. And yet it's the shepherd that God chooses to lead his people. He has a heart for people and for the people of God. And so David knows what it means to be a shepherd. In fact, when he goes to Saul, when he meets Goliath for the first time, and he hears the taunts and the the cries of Goliath yelling and screaming at the Israelite army, and David goes to Saul and says, I'll take care of that guy out there. I'll, I'll go fight against the giant. And Saul says, you can't do that. He's a warrior. He's been fighting since his youth, and you're only a boy. And David calls on his shepherding background to give some information to King Saul. He goes, well, I've been a shepherd, and I've had bears and lions attack my flock before, and I've gone and I've killed the bears and the lions. Jesus, God Almighty, has given me power to go out and do that. In the same way that God empowered me to take out the bear and to take out the lion, he's going to empower me to take out that giant. And so David draws on his shepherding background to get an opportunity to go into this war. But in this psalm, David says something that's really cool. He says, I've been a shepherd, but God is my shepherd. And so I want us to see some things this morning that David understood about God and his place in his life. There's some cool things to bring out in this, some characteristics about God and snapshots of who God is. Number one, David says God's a provider. He says, listen, I lack nothing. God's a provider for me. Number two, God is a guide. He leads me to green pastures, 
He takes me by quiet waters and he leads me along the right paths. God is my guide. He's going to take me to good places. I'm going to follow him. Number three, God is a comforter. David says he carries this rod and this staff to go to battle against the things that might attack. And David feels very confident and very sure in the comfort that God brings because of the weapons that God yields against his enemies. So he says he's my comforter. Number three, God's a protector. It says he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And we're going to focus on that in just a few minutes. So I want to skip that one and come back to it. Then he says this, God's a healer. He anoints my head with oil. And maybe you haven't understood that passage before, what that means. For sheep, they would constantly be plagued by flies and insects. They would buzz around their heads and go into their ears and their nasal passages. And they would actually lay their larvae, lay their eggs in the sheep's ears and nose. And then those eggs would grow and it would go into the, the inside of the sheep's head and it would be extremely painful for the sheep. Sometimes those things would get up into their skull and into their brains. And the only way the sheep could deal with the pain that was going on inside of it was just to beat their heads against things. And they would literally smash their heads against rocks trying to deal with the pain inside of their heads. And so a shepherd would come along and pour oil over the sheep's head And the oil acted as a barrier, a buffer against these flies and these insects that would come against them so that they wouldn't grow into their minds. And in the same way, David says, God, you, you anoint my head with oil. You bring healing. You bring peace. You bring a sense of calm to me that when everything's buzzing around me, I know I'm protected from it because you anoint my head with oil. And then the last thing he says is this, that God is a lover. He says, his goodness and his love follow me all the days of my life. And so for us this morning, we need to see these characteristics of God. And we could spend an entire teaching series, and maybe we will one day, just on Psalm 23, looking at these kinds of things. There's some incredible things to glean from that and learn from that. But he says, I want to see this this morning as we're dealing specifically with the question of what happens if my giant doesn't fall? Because here's the reality of life in our broken, sin-filled world. We are always going to struggle with hardships and temptation and pain. And while Jesus comes to set us free from the damaging effects of sin, we're always going to face battles as we walk with Christ. In fact, it's one of the things that keeps us dependent on him. That when we face struggles and hardships and temptations and and when we have sin that we're dealing with in our life, we constantly have to run back to our Savior who's full of grace and full of mercy for us. And so God tells us this in Psalm 23. He says, you prepare, David wrote this, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I want you to pay attention to this this morning because I think it's important for us to get God puts us in a place of his provision, but he sets the table, not minus our enemies, not in the absence of our enemies, not far away from our enemies. Where does David say? He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, when there's giants in my life, when there's sin, when there's temptation, when there's hardship, when there's pain, when there's turmoil, God, I know that you've set a table for me right there. But here's what I love about this. When I think about a table that's prepared and set, 
maybe you're like me, the first thing that comes to my mind is Thanksgiving meal, right? Like that just giant spread of food for Thanksgiving where we've got every imaginable food known to man that's on the table and you're just going to eat until you can't eat anymore. But we typically enjoy that meal with our friends and with our families, with people that we love who are around us. And David says this about God, you prepare the table in the presence of my enemies. But here's what I love about it. God doesn't invite his enemies to sit at the table with him. The table is for David and for God. He goes, I'm with you, David, at the table, enjoying the meal with your enemies all around just watching. But they don't have authority and power over you. They're not invited to the table. And so for us, when we think about this, we need to understand that God never promises that our lives as Christians are going to be easy that it's going to be free of sin, that we're going to be free of pain, that it's going to be free of hardship. God never says that the Christian life is going to be easy and simple. We talked about that when we talked about the giant of comfort. God doesn't call us into comfort. He calls us into obedience. And even in the presence of our enemies, we know God is with us. And it's an important thing to know. Because just like when a lion or a bear came after David's sheep and David would pursue them, and go and get the sheep back and take care of the lion and take care of the bear, God does the same thing for us. When we wander off the path, when we stray away from God and his plan for us, when we move outside of his will and his provision into sin, he doesn't just leave us to be killed by the enemies. He pursues us. He comes after us. And in his grace and in his mercy, he brings us back and he restores us in relationship with him. Grace is God's gift to restore us when we lose to one of our giants. And so God's pursuit of us helps to bring us back and return to right standing with him. Uh, if you have a Bible and want to look at this this morning, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, this will be on the screens for you to check out as well. God knows how to take our trials and our difficulties and use them for his glory. So here's what James writes. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Right? It's important for us to remember that we don't overcome our giants on our own. We need Jesus in our life to do that. We're not fighting the giants by ourselves in our power because we're so great. We need Jesus to step in. But James tells us, listen, consider it pure joy when you face trials and temptations and hardships and pain and difficulty because you know that in those moments, God is working something out in the testing of your faith, he's producing perseverance, right? That's a term that I think of, and I actually don't like the word perseverance very much because I've always associated it with running, right? and I don't really love running all that much. To run, I need a ball that I'm chasing. It needs to be a basketball or a football or a baseball. If I'm going to run, there better be some goal that I'm chasing to get to, but just to run doesn't seem all that fun to me. And yet there are people out there who enjoy running and who want to run for miles and miles and miles. And to do that, it takes building up over time through hardships and trials and stresses to persevere 
so that you can build up endurance to keep going. Even when you think you're going to stop, you know because of your training you can keep going. The same thing is true in our life following Jesus. We learn through our hardships, pains, struggles with sin, our trials, our persecutions, how to endure so that we can persevere, so that we can follow Christ forever. And then he says this, will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we want Jesus to be fighting for us to help us continue to persevere in our lives. But sin typically tries to isolate us from Jesus. What sin will do is he'll see the the table that Jesus has set for us in the front of our enemies, and sin will invite us to leave that table of God's provision and come and follow sin. Why don't you leave that good thing that God has going in your life and come and pursue me instead? And we're invited away from the table to pursue this sinful thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, once wrote this, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. And in the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole person. So sin's aim and desire is to pull us away from Jesus, number one, and to pull us away from Christian community, number two. And so here's what I would encourage you this morning. If you find yourself coming under attack by these things and going, why am I losing to these giants that I know Jesus has put to death in my life? Why do I keep struggling with this specific sin? Why do I keep running back from this? Why do I leave the table of God's provision to go pursue something that I know is outside of his plan and outside of his will? Why do I keep losing this battle to this giant? Let me give you three questions to think about this morning, just to to think through and to ask yourself. Number one is this, am I acting in my power and not leaning into Jesus and into the power of Jesus? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And so for us, we need to ask that question, am I acting in my power Or am I leaning into Jesus? Because when I lean into my power, I have a hard time saying no to sin. I have a difficult time rejecting the struggles and temptations that I face in my life. But when I lean into Jesus and his power, he gives me grace and ability to say no and to pursue him. So that's number one. Number two is this. Am I isolated from my community of faith? When you've got a giant that just keeps winning battles in your life, ask yourself the question, have I become isolated from my community of faith? Do you have people in your life who are offering you accountability, encouragement, who are speaking God's truth into your life? Or have you isolated yourself and find yourself all alone and you're fighting a giant by yourself? You were never intended to do that. Number three, here's the last question and maybe the most important question. Am I in Christ? And I think it's important for us to ask that question. If we continually struggle in sin and don't find victory over some things in our life, one of the questions we may need to ask is, am I truly in Christ? Paul talked about this with the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Right? And so Paul encourages the church. Listen, ask yourself that question occasionally. Am I in Christ? Now, this is not to say that you should constantly question your salvation and doubt your salvation, or if you do something that's sinful, that you believe you've lost your salvation and have to re, uh, get resaved or be baptized again. I'm not trying to paint that picture, but I'm saying that you need to ask yourself occasionally, man, am I genuinely in this faith relationship with Christ? Because we want to know, and Paul actually says, I trust when you ask yourself that question, you're going to find that you pass the test. He says, I believe that, that you're genuinely in Christ, but don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask the Spirit of God to look into your life and either affirm in you, yes, your faith is secure and complete and you are in Christ, or for the Spirit of God to bring some conviction in your life and say, you've just been playing a spiritual game for a long time. Yeah, you've gone to church your whole life. Yeah, you said that prayer when you were a little kid. Yeah, you've been really moral throughout your entire life, but you are not genuinely a follower of Jesus. You've never trusted him alone to be your savior, to be your Lord, to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into his family, that you've changed your life for him and that you have joined him on the mission that he's called you to. And so you need to ask that question. And Paul actually says, I I think if you ask, you'll be encouraged to find out that you're going to pass that test. But ask the question. And if you don't pass the test, then you know where your starting point needs to be. Come to faith in Jesus. Repent of your sin. Trust him to be your savior. And walk in his freedom. Let him start working to bring down the giants that you face in your life once you're in him. And so that's where I would encourage you. But here's one last thing that I want to leave us with today. Not everything we face in life is a giant, but God's grace is sufficient in all of our needs. Right? Like not everything you face is something we would call a giant. The things that I think about when we're talking about these giants are sin struggles, sin issues, things that don't belong in our life. But then there's other things, right, that we might go, well, okay, so what if I get a cancer diagnosis? Or what if I get a a bad illness? Or or what if I face, uh, you know, a a, a loss of relationship? What if someone, you know, dies and goes through, I go through a horrible loss? Is that a giant? I don't know that I would necessarily say that it's a giant that Jesus is going to bring down. We're not guaranteed healing from our our, uh, sicknesses and and people aren't going to rise back from the dead when they die until Jesus returns and those kinds of things. But I would say that in everything we face, God's grace is sufficient to meet our needs as we struggle through this difficult life. And so Paul writes about this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he talks about the idea that God had given him an incredibly great revelation. And in this revelation from God, he had seen heaven. And Paul says this, to keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me a thorn in my flesh. And he called the thorn a messenger from Satan. That's how Paul thought about it. He goes, this messenger from Satan was placed into my life. We don't know what the thorn was. He doesn't elaborate past that. We're not sure what was going on, if it was physical, if it was mental, if it was spiritual. All we know is he says, God put a thorn in my flesh. It was a messenger from Satan to torment me. 
And then Paul says three times, I prayed, God, will you take this thing from me? Will you relieve me of this? Will you bring it out of my life? And here's God's answer. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses nine and 10. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So when you go through a painful season and you have trials and hardships or you face persecutions, it's powerful for us to know God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is right there to carry you through every trial, every hardship. It may not be a giant that falls out of your life, but God's grace is there. And he picks us up and he brings us right back into relationship with him so that we can step forward again and keep walking in him. And then I love what Paul says. He says, so therefore, I'll boast about my weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, Christ is strong. And church, that's what we have to have the mentality of. We're going to be weak in this life. We're going to face difficult, hard things. We're going to struggle with sin. But God's grace is sufficient. And so here's how I want us to close out this series and what I want to offer a challenge to us as we think about this. David and Goliath and their story. Goliath came out for 40 days and 40 nights and he taunted the armies of Israel and he blasphemed their God and he yelled at them and told them how worthless they were. And every day in the morning, Goliath would come out and he would shout his challenges and he would start their days off with this miserable fear. And then the last thing at night, the armies would line up again for battle and Goliath would step out and he would taunt them and make them afraid. And they would go to bed at night with that fear in their hearts. Morning and night, the giant stood in front of them for 40 days. And then David comes along in the power of the spirit. David goes out and slays the giant because he knew God was with him. He knew God was more powerful than any giant he faced. And so here's what I want to encourage us to do. For the next 40 days, to read Psalm 23. When you wake up in the morning, read Psalm 23. When you go to bed at night, read Psalm 23. And just like David and the armies of Israel were taunted for 40 days and 40 nights by this giant, let's let the word of God speak to our lives for 40 days and 40 nights. And let's just see if there are things you're struggling with in your life, giants you've not been able to find victory over through Christ at this point, that as you feed your mind, feed your soul the truth of God, that for 40 days and 40 nights, that we start seeing God as our, our comforter, our provider, our defender, the one who heals us, the one who leads us, all of these things that we see in the the character of God, that we would start to trust him and find victory over all that we face. Because here's what I think as we close this out, 
when you look around and remember David and see your enemies all around you, we start to remember that Jesus has set a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You're in the presence of giants all the time, but you have a God who is a giant killer. And so in 1 John 4, 4, we see this. John writes, you, dear children, are from God and you've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We have nothing to fear because our God is bigger than our giants. And through his power, may we see our giants fall. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.